You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Yes, we have announced a new investment, strategic equity investment with Sumitomo Metal Mining. Uh, Sumitomo is the largest uh, mining and processing company uh, in Japan. Um, They are, first of all, well experienced. They're one of the leading and largest nickel producers in the world and also a group that is very familiar with making uh, partnership or joint venture investments with Western mining companies. They have joint ventures with Tech Resources and Freeport McMoran, Lundin Mining, uh, among others. And so for us, this represents a major validation of a project. um, And we're just super excited to be working with Japan's leading mining group on this. Welcome back to MSE. I'm your host, Bill Powers, checking in today with Martin Turin. He's the president, CEO, and director of FPX Nickel, one of our longtime multi-year sponsors. Welcome back onto the show, Martin, and Happy New Year. Well, it seems like every other time I bring you on, you have a new corporate investor. So you've done it again. You finance the company outside of Bay Street or House Street, which is actually a good thing for retail investors such as myself. Uh, Could you break down the current financing and the new corporate partner? Yeah, thanks, uh, Bill, for having us on and happy 2024 to you and your listeners. So it starts off as a good year for us. Um, Yes, we have announced a new investment, strategic equity investment with Sumitomo Metal Mining. Uh, Sumitomo is the largest uh, mining and processing company uh, in Japan. Um, They are, first of all, well experienced. They're one of the leading and largest nickel producers in the world and also a group that is very familiar with making uh, partnership or joint venture investments with Western mining companies. They have joint ventures with Tech Resources and Freeport McMoran, Lundin Mining, uh, among others. And so for us, this represents a major validation of a project. Um, and we're just super excited to be working with Japan's leading mining group on this. So can you remind us of all the corporates you now have on the stock? Because I might not even be able to pull them all off the top of my head. You brought in so many in the last year. Yeah, it has been really important for us to signal uh, the technical, economic, uh, and and permitting viability of the project by bringing on strategic investors over the last 14 months or so. And we hope that with each of those, it becomes more apparent that the project is robust in every sense. First of all, about 14 months ago, we took on a our first strategic investor who owns 9.9% of the company. We've yet to identify the nature of that group. We can say it is a large a public company uh, and and a group that is very supportive of our work. Uh, they came in at a 27% premium in late 2022. Then in mid-2023, 2020, rather, we took on another equity investment from Otokumpu. This is a Finnish a company, a European company, it's the largest stainless steel company in Europe. Again, they own about 9.9% of the company and their investment came in at a 40% premium to our market price when we did that offering. Now with Sumitomo, that adds the third major corporate strategic investor. And again, I think the takeaway should be one, they're investing at a significant premium, this time a 70% premium to market, uh, which is what you don't often see that for a simple private placement. And secondly, it just adds another leg to the stool, so to speak, of, of support from a major sophisticated investor in the nickel space, looking at our Baptiste project and saying that this is a project that they need to be involved in. And don't you have partnerships with uh, Toyota and Panasonic, if I recall, too? 
That's correct. So uh, Toyota and Panasonic's uh, joint venture battery company, which is called Prime Planet Energy and Solutions, or PPES, we have signed a uh, collaboration uh, framework agreement with them that was announced in September of last year. And it sets the framework for potential upstream investment by PPES, where they would potentially take um, uh, make an upstream investment within FPX or within our Baptiste project, again, with the ultimate goal of securing nickel units, which they very much need for their battery plant, which they're currently constructing in North Carolina, and more generally for their growth ambitions in North America generally. So Jackmec is also a partner, which is essentially the Japanese government uh, for your exploration of Awara White deposits worldwide. What's the connection with Jap- Japan in terms of the the partnerships? Is there a unique something unique there? You mentioned a Finnish company in Europe also that's invested, but is there something unique with Japan in this deposit? Well, Japan, I think you have to you know just as a general comment, of course, is very well experienced in making outbound investments. Japan is not hugely well endowed from the standpoint of natural resources, and so for many generations now, Japan has been looking outward to make investments to partner oftentimes with Western companies to secure a supply of, of important raw materials for the Japanese economy. So that's the, the, the historical backdrop and there's a long history of that. With respect to nickel specifically, Japan has experience in Indonesia, it has experience in the Philippines, which are two of the largest producing countries in the world. But those are countries where you know, China has taken sort of a dominant position in the supply chain. And so yes, Indonesia and Philippines produce a lot of nickel that's not necessarily always available uh, for Japanese interests or doesn't have the ESG profile that they really need in order to to, uh, kind of fulfill the ESG ambitions that they have for their downstream supply chain needs, whether in stainless steel or in electric vehicle batteries. So they, you know, by, by looking at us, by looking at Canada, I think they're really reaffirming that geopolitical alignment between Japan and Canada. That's uh, quite important. That was formalized in an agreement between the two countries announced uh, earlier in 2023 for collaboration on securing raw materials. So in this particular cycle, this is the first time that Sumitomo is making an investment in a nickel uh, company or a nickel project. And that's particularly important. And I think it, it really points people to the fact that yes, there's a lot of nickel coming out of Indonesia, but the rest of the world needs to start building new nickel supply as well in order to diversify that supply chain away from those Chinese. And um, in the case of uh, Russia, also Russia, Russian geopolitical interests, and Russia also being a large nickel producer. So Canada and Australia and other countries that are traditional nickel powerhouses will continue to see that investment on that theme. So the novelty, obviously, of the Aware White deposit, that didn't scare any of these corporates off. That would actually is what attracted them. You're exactly right. It's quite the opposite of scaring them off. So as you mentioned, our deposit is unconventional. It's not a typical nickel sulfide that you would typically find in Canada. The nickel is hosted in a mineral called a werewhite, as you mentioned, which is a nickel iron alloy. And I think these groups recognize, as we have long recognized, uh, that this different type of nickel mineral has distinct processing advantages um, that can lead to a lower environmental footprint, uh, higher recoveries, uh, and producing a higher value product that goes through fewer processing steps from nickel being in the ground to nickel finally sitting in the EV battery or in a piece of stainless steel. So those processing advantages, I think, are being viewed decisively as such on the basis of the test work that we've done over time. 
we know we still get a lot of questions from retail investors or institutional investors about this newfangled mineral. You just simply have to look at the at the endorsement of Sumitomo, about Akumpu, uh, uh, and of the Toyota and Panasonic joint venture company who see that this is a disruptive new source of nickel supply for the market. We're quite excited about that. Your Baptiste deposit is in the Dakar Nickel District in British Columbia. And this is the ancestral land of many First Nations. You did have to address in a press release last year that there was a certain group within the multiple First Nations group that was concerned about future exploitation of the resource. It, was that a concern to these corporates in the most recently Sumotomo coming in? Uh, point one, point two is I do pay attention to what's being said on the internet. Uh, and there were some talk of perhaps in the chat rooms, and I don't know if this is true, of some organizing, let's say, to maybe formalize the displeasure with FPX a little more. Could you address that as well? Yeah. So, you know, on the second point, we can't really comment on what's out there on the message boards as it regards, you know, um, speculation about what's going on within these particular nations. We, It's not our business to enter into the internal governance dynamics of these nations. And so we won't comment on that uh, specifically. Um, uh, with respect to the investment by Sumitomo and, you know, the other two large strategic investors that we have, um, um, you know, they evaluate every aspect of this project, of course, before making an investment decision. They evaluate management, they invest, they evaluate the project itself from a, a technical feasibility standpoint, an economic feasibility standpoint, and from the standpoint of kind of the permittability of the project. And so the, the fact that, that Sumitomo has gone ahead and make this investment I think is a strong sign in that regard in every respect. The, the project is not yet in the environmental assessment or permitting phase. We hope to potentially enter that EA phase later this year or potentially into 2025. That's going to be uh, the ideal forum for all rights holders uh, here, including all of the impacted First Nations, to work collaboratively with FPX and with the provincial government of BC and the federal government of Canada to fully evaluate the project to understand its potential impacts and benefits, and to really work collaboratively to develop the mine project in a way that is based on a kind of a true 21st century approach. That is a, that is one where uh, rights holders are full project participants and partners, uh, where they have a real say in how the project is developed. We're fully committed to that. We're fully committed to the principles of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, the concept of free prior and informed consent really rests at the heart of what we do as a company. It always has, and it will continue to do so go forward. And we're, we're confident in our ability to bring uh, all of these rights holders together and, and, and work with them in a, in a continued respectful manner and to really address all the concerns that can be raised throughout the, the process uh, head on. Uh, and, and, you know, we have, I think, some innovative ideas of how best to work together and how to ensure that those environmental uh, considerations and those cultural considerations are placed at the paramount of how we how how we develop this project. You've had success at the Van Target, which is distinct from the Baptiste deposit. Uh, what role did the Van Target play in valuing the company when you were chatting with Sumotomo about their investment? Yeah, I mean the Baptiste deposit on its own, which is of course the main sort of flagship. We produced a preliminary feasibility study on that uh, last year that outlines a you know, almost thirty-year mine life. Um, the Van Target uh, really speaks to the sort of the regional uh, upside and the regional exploration potential. We've done enough drilling there at Van already to know that, you know, the size of the prize there is potentially to the same scale of Baptiste, if not larger. And so, 
companies like Sumitomo and other large interests who are looking at planning their business, not on the quarter to quarter or even a year to year basis, but decade to decade, generation to generation, I think they, they very clearly see, and that's something that's come back in all of the, the sort of major due diligence processes that we've had over the course of the last couple of years is all of those counterparties have seen the upside here from a geological and exploration standpoint to ultimately support a multi-generational uh, nickel mining district. Um, and so that absolutely factors into the, uh, to the, uh, to the investment decisions here. I think, you know, in, in retail and institutional investors can get caught up in the day to day of the nickel price being up or down or what's happening in nickel production coming out of places like Indonesia, but securing a stable support source of, of nickel from Canada, low carbon, low cost nickel over multiple decades and generations from a strategic standpoint, I mean, the, the 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 value of that I think should be obvious to people. I don't think it always is reflected in the share price adequately, though. What is the treasury at now with this investment? So this this investment brings the treasury to around forty two million uh, Canadian dollars. So we're fully funded now for twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five. And so um, again, we've been able to do these financings at premiums to restore the treasury to kind of stay ahead of the game in terms of the financing cycle. Um, and, uh, you know, quite excited about that. It's also worth noting that, you know, the existing strategic investors do have a participation right. They have the ability to maintain their interest in, uh, FPX on the basis of the Sumitomo financing by doing, participating in a top up round. And we'll see what their interests are here to potentially do so here in the coming weeks. Martin, I always ask, like to ask uh, CEOs, not only why their share price would go up, but why their share price isn't up already. So as you do your own analysis of why you believe you have a debrushed share price, can you share that with listeners, please? Yeah, it's something we think about, you know, every day. Uh, you know, of course, we're always focused, first and foremost, I think, in, in managers of the company as to what's in the best long-term interest of the development of the project and of creating shareholder value on a long-term basis, not just simply being focused on day-to-day -day price movement. But at the same time, we also maintain that parallel interest in looking at the share price from day to day. And, and obviously, we've had you know a rough sort of six months six month period, really coinciding with the announcement around uh, that public disclosure from one of our partner First Nations, uh, expressing some opposition to the project uh, in summer of 2023. You know, I, I would just standing back, I'd, I'd look at three broad things that have led to a certain decline in share price over the last six month period. One, just being caught up in generally uh, difficult, continued difficult markets for the for junior mining equities. Uh, two, the nickel price has declined about 50% over the last year. That's obviously a tough sort of macro headwind to be developing a, a nickel company in, uh, in terms of how, let's say, whether the, the nickel is in favor or not. And certainly from the standpoint of financial investors, it is not, though we do see the opposite view really expressed by those strategic investors. Uh, and thirdly, has been that um, you know the, the questions around the permittability of the project in light of uh, the expressed First Nation opposition. Again, there are multiple First Nations who are impacted by this project. We're working collaboratively with all of them. Uh, we we well recognize some of the sensitivities that have been expressed to us, and we're very committed to working forward with all of the nations, some of whom we have very strong public relationships with, um, to to move that forward. And as, as I think we're able to continue to create more clarity around the nature of those relationships and the nature of, of various community views around the project, that will serve to, to give some com comfort to our investors. 
and you know there's nothing more important that in that regard than just demonstrating that we continue to advance the project and, and we certainly continue to do that i think investors should take heart at that for sure from a retail standpoint retail investor standpoint could there be any drawbacks to bringing in too many corporate investors so i've been told by some ceos that the institutional investors or corporate investors they can you know bail you out when retail's not there but if anything happens with them they can also cause challenges for the company uh, what are your thoughts in this regard well i mean i think institutional investors and strategic investors are two fundamentally different categories right institutional investors are just fund managers they're managing pools of capital they can be just as flaky and flighty as retail right they can be love you one day and and hate you the next and if an institutional investor with a large position wants to sell, that can be hugely damaging to the share price. We have experienced that ourselves over the last few years, subsequent to a bought deal that we did on the street um, in 2021. Um, so we we know that well. The strategic investors, that's a different pool altogether. These are long-term, very, very sticky investors. Uh, in the case of Otakumpu and Sumitomo, uh, part of the their investment thesis here is to secure some rights uh, future offtake to nickel well they can only maintain those rights if they maintain their shares so if they ever sold a single share in fpx then they would lose those offtake rights so you can imagine that those groups would be very sticky and long term you know at the same time the free float for fpx is probably in the region of 40 to 50 percent of the of the shares outstanding there's no reason that there, we can't create you know sufficient volume to create opportunities for retail to come in and out of the stock as as they see fit but um, I, I would say that, you know, for FPX more specifically, there's always been questions about, you know, this is a novel nickel deposit. It's a relatively low grade nickel deposit. Like those are things that are maybe a little bit scary to unsophisticated investors. Well, they should, I think, look at the multiple points of validation from those large sophisticated strategic investors to say, you know what, if it's good enough for Otakumpu as one of the largest nickel consumers in the world. If it's good enough for Sumitomo as one of the largest nickel producers in the world, it's probably a pretty robust project and it's something that I should maybe look at. And you essentially, for in terms of a potential buyer of the Baptiste deposit or FPX nickel as an entire entity, you kind of now created some bidders or some competition within the company for buying out the company, didn't you, with everything you brought in? Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is that Sumitomo is an ideal project partner uh, for anyone, for any, let's say, major Western mining company look, who would look for a, a partner on this. Uh, you know, they're quite accustomed to taking large, you know, 20 to 30% minority interests in large uh, mining projects, you know, most recently on the um, uh, probably most well publicized on the Tex QB2 uh, copper mine in um in Chile, which is just uh, ramping into full production now. Um, and so if you're a Western mining company, you're looking at, F at, at, at FPX as a potential acquisition opportunity. You also recognize that it's relatively, you know, significant capital associated with the project. You might want to know, well, who can I potentially partner with? Or also who, who is lined up there as potential customers for this nickel product? You know, the work that we've done with Toyota and Panasonic from an EV battery side shows that side. The work that and the investment we've gotten from Otakumpu shows there's you know a large stainless steel company out there very eager to buy nickel units here, and so in a sense the product is 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 being put on a bit of a platter towards that ultimate acquisition event. Mm -hmm. What's the plan for Van Target in 2024? Are you looking to advance that at all in addition to the Baptiste uh, feasibility study? No, we're, our focus is really going to be on Baptiste probably in 2024. 
van, we, we, we have a good sense of what we have there. There's a lot more drilling that could be done in future years to continue to expand that and to demonstrate whether it can be, you know, larger or higher grade than Baptiste, that thesis or that hypothesis rather is still very much intact. What we've been a little bit disappointed by though, is we've done two seasons of drilling at Van in, in previous years, made a major discovery and then had significant step outs on that discovery in subsequent, in a subsequent year. And in both cases, it didn't really add a lot to value for, for, for shareholders in the very short term. So we know we've got something big brewing there, but at the same time, we re- recognize that in these market conditions, it's not always the best thing to, to, to be drilling. I think the best thing that we can be doing to be adding value for, for FPX shareholders is to de-risk the main project at Baptiste. The extent that continues to get de-risked and demonstrated to the market, then the inherent value of VAN can kind of rise to the surface more easily. And thereafter, I think drilling at VAN to expand it would make a lot of sense. What's the main thing you're trying to accomplish in the feasibility study at Baptiste? Beyond the pre-feasibility, what you already put out there. Yeah, it, 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 it really is nothing more than just a kind of increasing confidence in all of the assumptions. I mean, these are, uh, I don't know if you've leafed, leafed through the pre-feasibility study bill. It's I've read you know, your 400 press plus pages, <laughs> 400 plus pages uh, yeah. of, of, of engineering there. Um, narrowing the kind of the error bar, let's say, on cost estimation is huge. There's still a lot of opportunities, a lot of sort of trade-off studies to optimize various aspects of the project from a scale standpoint, from you know, um, uh, you know, mine planning standpoint, from how we deal with waste and tailings, et cetera, et cetera. There's a heck of a lot of work that still needs to be done, but it, in the end, it really is just about narrowing and increasing the confidence level in the engineering. There's a massive, massive step up from a PEA to a PFS. I don't think that's very well recognized in the market. In terms of uh, engineering certainty, and similarly, a similarly massive upgrade in engineering certainty from PFS to feasibility study. These these studies, you know, a lot of people never read them. A lot of people don't have the background in engineering to know that it's you're not just kind of slapping a bunch of new letters on the same study. It, it is a massive undertaking each time you upgrade from one to the next, and so. Um, it shouldn't be lost on people the importance of that, particularly as it relates to due diligence efforts by potential investors or acquirers. The fact that we have a completed pre-feasibility study puts us in a different class, I think, from companies that only have PEAs on their project, owing to that greater engineering certainty. That That's part of what speaks to the new investment here by Sumitomo as well. And when do you expect to complete the feasibility? Uh, we haven't guided the market yet on that. I think uh, probably you would expect from us in the coming months, we'll be putting out more plans uh, definitively about what we're doing in 2024 and how that feasibility study work kind of fits into that. You know, we've already kicked off some of the early trade-off study work, but in terms of when we would complete that study, that's still a bit up in the air. Did Sumitomo make you reveal the mystery corporate investor, the name of that corporate investor in order to do this with you, or were you able to retain that close to the chest, that information? Uh, no, th- that was not a condition of, of their investment here. And, um, that, that's it, something where we do respect confidentiality. Excellent. All right. So just a recap for us, what are the next catalysts that investors should look for in the stock? In the immediate term, we'll see, the, uh, you know, again, the, the confidential investor and other company have the right to participate here. We'll, we'll, we'll see whether they take up that right or not. Uh, and so that, that could be news that could be coming here in the next couple of weeks. Um, beyond that, I think people would really look at, um, uh, a news release kind of summarizing what our plans are for advancing the project in 2024. 
We also, as you may recall, uh, received some government funding from the federal government of Canada under the critical mineral strategy last year for production, scaling up production of battery grade nickel sulfate, which is the product that goes into the EV batteries. And there will be continued news on that here later in the first quarter as well. Um, so really teeing up a release, I think, here over the next little while as to that would set out our 2024 plans with a bit more precision. If you'd like more information about the company, go to fpxnickel.com. Ticker symbol on the venture in Toronto is FPX. And in the States, you can find it under the ticker FPOCF. Martin, thank you for this update. It's uh, been many months. I appreciate you coming on the show and being a sponsor. And one more time, congratulations at doing another corporate financing at a very substantial premium to your trading share price. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks a lot, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.